Liberty in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, follow along as I read the first five verses. <clears throat> Paul says, Then, fourteen years after, after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation, and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue in you. May God bless his word. Please bow in prayer with me. Uh, Father, we rejoice today that we have liberty in Christ, that we are made free. We thank you, Lord, that we shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We thank you that that truth is Jesus Christ himself. And Lord, I thank you for those who stand uh, in Christ uh, in genuine liberty. They have been set free. And I pray for those that have not been placed in Christ yet. They've not experienced the liberty that Paul had in Christ. And I pray today that they would experience that liberty. Help us, Father, to understand what it means to have liberty in Christ Help us to appreciate it first. Help us make sure we've experienced it. And then may no one ever rob us of it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be... All right. Take your Bibles again. Please turn to Galatians chapter 2. And I want to read to you a short paragraph... Uh, about the 4th of July from historian David Barton. This was written a couple many years ago, actually, uh, so I updated the number that he mentions in the beginning. But he, he notes, This year marks 247 years since our founding fathers gave us our national birth certificate. We continue to be the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. Blessings such as these are not by chance or accidental. They are blessings of God. On July 2nd, that's this day, 247 years ago, 1776, Congress voted to approve a complete separation from Great Britain. Two days afterwards, July 4th, the early draft of the Declaration of Independence was signed, albeit only by two individuals at that time. John Hancock, who was the president of Congress, and Charles Thompson, who was the Secretary of Congress. Four days later, on July 8th, members of Congress took that document at, and read it aloud from the steps of Independence Hall, proclaiming it to the city of Philadelphia, after which the Liberty Bell was rung. The inscription around the top of that bell, Leviticus 25.10, was most appropriate for the occasion. Proclaim liberty throughout the land, and to all the inhabitants thereof. I love the idea that what we celebrate is our national birth certificate. That's the Declaration of Independence. That's when we became a nation. Liberty, uh, the liberty that we enjoy 
in a free country is indeed a blessing. I have found that it, it seems to be unappreciated, uh, especially compared to those who come from other countries, and they value it more than some that are born here, sadly. But, you know, there's another kind of liberty, <clears throat> and it's even more important. And it's a liberty that is experienced not just by people that live in free countries like America. It is a liberty that is experienced by some that are in communist countries, some that are in prison. But it's a far more important liberty. It is liberty in Jesus Christ. In Paul's day, that liberty was so important that there were actually people who attempted to take it away from those who had it. Is that a danger today? It is. And that's what we're going to look at. Galatians chapter 2 is a text where Paul communicates that he had liberty in Christ, and the other apostles with him had liberty in Christ. But, and it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a weird story that there were people that were brought in or crept in unawares privately that sought to spy out their liberty that they had in Jesus Christ and the way Paul words it, um, that they might bring us into bondage. So what is, first of all, what is that liberty that Paul talks about, that liberty in Christ? Second, do you have it? Third, how could someone take that away from us? Let's jump in. And, uh, and let's look. We're gonna, I'm going to give you the outline right now. <clears throat> we'll pray. And again, be praying for those that are away, praying for those that are, uh, are struggling physically. And we'd appreciate that. Verses 1 through 3 shares with us the freedom. Um, and that specifically, verse 3, tells us about a decision that Titus made that Paul went along with that was a result of the liberty they had in Jesus Christ. And then we see the friction in verse 4. This is when people, uh, these, these enemies, came in and tried to undermine and literally rob them, well, spy them out, first of all. Uh, you know, they were there not under honorable means. Uh, they were trying to find out, you know, what does Paul believe? And then they were trying to ensnare him, and that's the fight. So we see the, the freedom Verse 3, verses 1 through 3, the friction, verse 4, and then the fight is verse 5. But let's bow in prayer first. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you especially for the freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, Lord, we think of, of the statement that we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free or make us free. And uh, no doubt there would be some listening, maybe some here, that have not experienced the glorious liberty of Jesus Christ. They've not been set free. Uh, They are still uh, enslaved to their own sin. Maybe they don't realize it. We pray that today uh, they would be made free and, and, and experience that glorious liberty of the sons of God. And we ask your blessing uh, as we talk about liberty in Christ, as we expound this text. And Lord, I pray that many that listen to this message that have not experienced that glorious liberty, would be set free, free from the law, free from the demands of the law, the curse of the law, that they would understand that the law has condemned them, that they would stop trying to 
please you or experience freedom uh, by being in bondage. Help us to understand that. Help them to experience it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's look at Galatians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. We see the freedom, what we're talking about. Paul says, Then fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately, now Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And so he had a very special ministry in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But he says, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, once we understand what's going on, the setting of this, uh, why Paul responded the way he did and, and why there was even a problem. Uh, once we understand that, we'll understand why Paul was a little discreet in what he did. On what he did. Uh, and then he said in verse 3, but, and this is, this is what caused the problem, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now that right there, that little grain of truth that he was not compelled to be circumcised and Paul went with it. Paul did not feel like he needed to be circumcised. That was a result of their liberty in Jesus Christ. You have to understand the background, um, but let's talk about this for a minute. This whole idea. Now circumcision was a requirement of the Jewish law. And it was a result of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, circumcision was not limited to the Jews. It had been practiced before that, but it became a symbolic um, and a very important thing to the Abrahamic covenant and to the Jews that followed that. And it was part of their Old Testament law. Paul even boasted in Philippians 2 when he was sharing his credentials about being a Pharisee. He said, circumcise the eighth day. In other words, Paul executed and fulfilled the law perfectly as a religious Pharisee. He was even circumcised on the exact day the law required it. And that was a big deal to the Jewish mind. This was, this was a religious observance, like so many others that the Jews uh, practiced. And it became an issue of contention in the first century church. Because remember what happened. The gospel was now coming in, and now it wasn't just that God was speaking through his chosen people, Israel. He was going to open it up now and include Jew and Gentile as part of the, the church. So the first century church would experience things that had never happened because you've got Jew and Gentile professing faith in the Messiah and becoming part of this organic union called the church. And it created a lot of problems because they both had different mentalities. They both had different baggage, if you could say. And that created some conflict, such as what we have here. See, because the Jews were given the oracles of God. And they were very proud of that. God gave to them the law. And they were very proud of that law because it was of God. But the law, at least their interpretation of it, had morphed 
into such a way that pretty soon the Jews began to impose their Judaism and the Jewish laws on the Gentiles, the Greeks. And the Greeks began to resent some of the practices that the Jews had, and it became a, a matter of contention that Paul had to deal with in, in much of his literature. But one of the issues, first of all, one of the big things with this battle, it eventually came to a head in Acts chapter 15, what is called the Jerusalem Council, where uh, it was dividing the church, and there were the believers coming in that said, you know, Listen, this, you know, circumcision is so important. It's a sign of the covenant. We can't throw this out. We've got to compel these Gentiles who are saved and trusting in Jesus Christ to be circumcised. It's the most important part of our law. And it became such a problem that they held a council, Acts 15, and they publicly debated it. Now, some people think that what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 2 because it is a meeting, and it is in Jerusalem, and it is about the same topic, a lot of people think they're the same meeting, but I don't believe they are. Let me share with you why, a couple reasons why uh, I believe this happened before. Actually, this would fit into the events of Acts chapter 11, somewhere around verses 28, 29, around there, uh, and that the events of Acts 15 would happen later. And here's some of the reasons. I'm just going to give you a couple reasons. First of all, this text I'm comparing, Galatians chapter 2, that's what we're going to talk about today. This meeting in Jerusalem. And we're going to contrast it with the meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Which, by the way, when you start studying the scriptures, that is, it's called the Jerusalem Council. The whole church got together, the leaders got together, they wrestled with this issue, they made some decisions, and then they, they wrote a formal declaration and here's why I don't believe they're the same. So we're going to contrast both meetings in Jerusalem. First of all, in Galatians, Paul only mentions two visits to Jerusalem. The book of Acts records three visits by Paul. Acts chapter 15, we believe, is the third visit. Number one, the, the, in Galatians 2, Paul is the one that started the debate that we're going to talk about. In Acts chapter 15, the fight had already been going on. In Acts chapter 2, it is a private meeting. In Acts chapter 15, it is a public meeting. In the Galatians account, Paul calls the men that are, that are causing problems false brethren. Whereas, in the Acts 15 account, Luke refers to the people that were wrestling with this same thing as Jewish believers. Mistaken believers, but Jewish believers. In Galatians, Paul does not mention that apostolic letter that is, that is produced in Acts chapter 15 with the conclusion after they wrestle with this thing. Not even mentioned. And if Acts 15 had already occurred, then the Jerusalem apostles would have already been in public agreement on this issue. And as you just read here in chapter 2, next few verses, they were not in agreement. Peter kind of messed up. And so that's another reason if, if this had happened after Acts 15 or if this was Acts 15, uh, it just doesn't seem real because Peter was the leader in the Acts chapter 15 meeting, whereas Paul was 
kind of a peripheral guy, whereas Paul's the leader in this meeting. And um, it's unlikely that Peter would have, uh, you know, vacillated after that meeting when everything was public. So, so, you know, and there's other reasons too, but we believe, I believe, this was a different meeting, what he's talking about. So look at this meeting, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Galatians 2, 1. Then, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took, took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation, that's referred to in Acts 11, I believe, and communicated unto them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So at this point, this is still a very touchy issue. Uh, the Jews were, were hanging on to this one, that people that had professed Christ and become part of the church, they felt that they needed to be compelled to be circumcised. In fact, in one instance, um, Paul submitted and had, had one of the other disciples uh, circumcised. But here, verse 3, neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, this issue that would, would almost split the church when it began, Jesus was so aware of it. That in Matthew chapter 16, here's what he told his disciples. He said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then in verse 11 of Mark, uh, Matthew 16, he said, How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not concerning bread? Because when he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're all thinking, Okay, well, I don't know what he means. But if the Pharisees and Sadducees offer you any kind of bread, do not eat it. That's kind of how they took it. And Jesus said, you don't know. I'm not talking about food. He said that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. What was that leaven? That leaven was getting trying to get them back under the law when they had come to faith in Jesus Christ alone. That was their liberty. And the fact that Titus was not bound. Now, Titus was a Gentile. And so if, if he was now in the Old Testament economy, if he was going to worship Yahweh, Israel's God, and he was going to go through the Old Testament sacrificial system, which many, many did, that were strangers, they would get circumcised. It was a sign that they had converted to Judaism, that they had uh, started to worship the one true God, Yahweh. And so that was very natural for them now. Okay, now we got Jesus Christ coming on, and now people get saved that are Gentiles. They need to be circumcised, which was a physical surgery on a man's body that would identify them with Judaism. And this became an issue. And Titus, they said, you know what, Titus? Paul said, you don't need to do this. You, you are at liberty in Christ. We are not under that Old Testament economy now. You have liberty in Christ. And that set up this whole thing. By the way, I mentioned Acts 15 because this is the same issue. They wrestled with it. And, and they wrestled with it in a, a little bit of a time ahead of what happened here. But when they finally went through all the issues and they, they wrote their letter and what their conclusion was, 
Here's one of the things they said. Peter said this in Acts 15 and verse 10. He said, now therefore, he's talking about these Judaizers who were trying to get the Christians, Gentiles, back under Judaism. He said, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So, Titus, Paul, now remember, he was preaching the gospel. And this will become very, very important down through the centuries, this thing called justification by faith. The most damning, harmful thing to the teaching of the doctrine of salvation by faith alone is works. And the devil is so clever to infuse in false gospels a works salvation so that people, multitudes of people will say, I believe you get to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then when you start talking to them more, they say, well, well now, wait a minute. Of course, I mean, you have to be baptized too. And you got to have this ordinance or this sacrament. No, folks, salvation, the liberty that they had in Christ was that you got saved by faith only. And you became part of the body of Christ. You were welcomed into the fellowship. And that was the issue. Remember, circumcision was their huge religious ceremony that the Jews did not want to give up. And they thought, well, this should, this should be natural. You know? And this is the way we've always been doing it for centuries. You want to come and follow Yahweh? You've got to come and got to be circumcised and come through our way. And now it was a different way. It was Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ, whereby we must be saved. So let's talk about freedom. Let's talk about liberty for a minute. Liberty is not, I can do what I want. In fact, it's, it's obvious it wasn't because these Jews that came in, in Galatians 2, and then in Acts 15, the, mess, the, the ones that were a little mixed up, uh, they were doing what they wanted, what they felt like it was right. But liberty, or liberty and freedom is not licensed to do what we want. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon, if you've ever heard of that, gives this as a definition of liberty. They, he says, true liberty is living as we should, not as we please. That's very important for us to realize. Paul had liberty in Christ so that they did not need to be compelled for Titus to be circumcised. That was part of the law. That was part of the bondage. And they were free in Christ. By the way, Peter, uh, and he's, he'll mention this in this very chapter in a few verses, Peter had demonstrated that freedom, and it must have been hard, I understand, to somebody that was brought up under the Jewish mentality where they couldn't even have fellowship and break bread with someone that was uncircumcised. And so Peter initially would have fellowship and break bread with Gentiles that had not been circumcised. But then he felt the peer pressure. You know, you got all these Jews, some of them are getting saved, and they're saying, no, no, we gotta, we got to keep, the, don't, don't, don't ditch the circumcision thing. And then he compromised. And he withdrew his fellowship. And, and Paul had to rebuke him. You read about that later in this in Galatians 2. I think it's like verse 11 or so forth. 
Yeah, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed, and it explains that. So, so Peter experienced that liberty in Christ, and then he put himself back under bondage. Somebody made this statement. I never heard of this guy, but his name is Skip Hatzig. It's a YouTube video. I love listening to random preachers. Some of that can be like, where is this guy coming from? And that might be this guy. I don't, I don't know who he is. I just know he made a good point. He said, when I live for his pleasure and his purposes, I find pleasure and purpose. Isn't that good? And then he said later in the message, he said, the more you do as you please, the less you are pleased with what you do. The more you do as he pleases, the more you are pleased with what you do. And that's a good point. That is a really good point. You know, some people interpret liberty as, I can do whatever I want. You don't tell me what to do. I can do what I want. And you know what's interesting? That's actually bondage. There was a time in Israel's history, it was the darkest time ever. And it was the time called the Judges, the Book of Judges. It was the darkest time in Israel's history. And the Bible says on several occasions in that time, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, you know, there'd be a lot of people that would read that, like they'd just come upon the Bible, open their book, open their Bible and see that in Judges and go, wow, that must have been an awesome time. That must have been a time where so many people were free because they just did what was right in their own eyes. That's freedom. You need to read the book a little more. Because it was not freedom. They were, bond- they were in such bondage. They had violated everyone else's civil rights because they didn't understand what liberty was about. They did what was right in their own eyes. And therefore, there was great abuse of other people's rights in a major way. It was depravity. Oh, it sounds like where America's heading. It does. We are more and more becoming a nation that we do what's right in our own eyes. And people think, that's freedom. No, it's not. That's bondage. I'll give an example. There's a man named Waylon Prendergast. I assume no relation to Teddy. He was from Tampa, Florida. It's a couple of years ago. And uh, he went out drinking. And on his way home, he decided to rob a house. And so the drunken man forced his way into a house filled a suitcase he found there with valuables, and then he made his way to the living room. In his stupor, he decided that he would set fire to the house to cover his tracks. So he ignited a blaze before making his way out the back door. He stumbled on, and as as he thought he was home free, he continued to his house, only to find three fire trucks parked outside, fighting the blaze that he had set. (laughs) He was so, you know, he can do what he wants. You know how the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. That's a perfect example. Here's a guy that said, I can do what I want. I can drink my fill as much as I want. And look who became the servant. That's, That's not freedom, folks. That's not freedom at all. So look at verse 4. Galatians 2, 4. So again, verse 3. Neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, 
who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So you have first false brethren, false brothers. Now this is what makes this one of the differences between this and in Acts 15. In Acts 15, it was kind of an in-house battle. You know, the church inside, the believers, it was believers, you know, kind of wrestling with issues. This was not that. This was false brethren. These were not children of God through faith in Christ. They only may they may have simulated their false brethren. They professed, you know, maybe they were baptized in Christ on the outside, but they were not baptized into Christ. And um, they made loud demands that all the Gentile converts should be circumcised. Otherwise, those converts were not qualified for sonship in God's family or for admission into the church fellowship. So this is where the doctrine of justification by faith is so very important. Here there were people that said, wait a minute. All right, these guys have expressed, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But there needs to be some outward sign they need to be circumcised. And they were trying to get these believers, like Titus, who had gotten saved, but had not followed that traditional circumcision to, to be you know, a, um, a convert of Judaism. And now there's pressure for him to get circumcised. Now, by the way, at this point, some people could, could use Paul's teaching in Romans you know, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no meat. And, and some could have taken, the, and Paul kind of did this when he, when he had someone else circumcised. But you could have taken it and said, well, okay, Titus, you don't really need to get, get circumcised, but we don't want to be a stumbling block to these Jews who are really struggling, so let's get circumcised. He didn't do that. He had liberty in Jesus Christ. So let's look at a couple terms. So the, the false brethren means that these were people that were not con- converts to Christianity, only outwardly. And then it says, brought in, false brethren, unawares brought in. Now that phrase, unawares brought in, comes from one Greek word. It's a compound word. It's a verb. And one, one theologian, lex, lexica, lexica, lexiconist, said this. In the compound verbal, and then he mentions the word, the preposition para appears to point not so much to the manner in which they had been brought in. In other words, he's not saying they came in stealthily or craftily as to the circumstance that they had no business to be brought in at all. They were an alien brood. The apostle's feeling is that men who do not accept the truth that through faith in Christ we are justified and through faith only have no proper place in the church of Christ. Amen to that. See, that's a, this has been a banner cry. It was a banner cry of the Reformation. Sola fide. Only faith. And that's what, would, that's what the distinguishing mark was. If you say you get saved by faith, but you need something else, that was the issue. This issue was circumcision. And notice what it says here. Because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we had, we had oh, through faith. Let me see. 
despite our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. What were they what were they coming? They were coming to see. It, it was really what the Pharisees did with Jesus. Remember there were times when Jesus would walk walk through, for example, the fields with his disciples on the Sabbath. And now here's Jesus, and many came to Jesus to either be healed or to sit under his teachings because they acknowledged him as the Messiah. And then you had those Pharisees and Sadducees that were just looking to see if they would keep the laws the way they interpreted them. See, they had a they had an amendment to God's commandments. Not an amendment. They had mega, mega laws added to the Old Testament commands. And they were waiting to see if Jesus would trip up. And so that these people are like that. They're coming in not because they're sympathetic with the preaching of the gospel of faith alone. They're coming in to observe the special rights of the Mosaic law so they could report it and insist that Paul and these people would follow uh, this law by having the Gentile converts. And by the way, this Paul would deal with this in Galatians 5 and verse 1. Listen to what he said. In fact, back up. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Folks, that's the bottom line. Somebody is saved when they put their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And no matter what they say, and by the way, come back tonight, we're studying Jeremiah, because they said all the right things, but they didn't practice it. Someone that says, I'm trusting in Jesus alone, and then trusts in some religious deed, is not trusting in Jesus Christ alone. That's why Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 5 and verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I grew up with a system that, the fact that when you study this word in early church history, it used to just mean something that was sacred, uh, things that people would do. And it took on a new meaning around the time of the Reformation where they had these things called sacraments. There were seven of them. And today, the very nature of sacraments, in fact, one theologian of the church I grew up in said this, the sacraments are the principal ways that we can obtain the supernatural life, without which no one can be saved. See, the sacrament, by definition, is... These are things you do to get God's grace. That's why we don't call, we only have two ordinances. We don't call them sacraments anymore because, and it's communion and baptism in the Lord's table, those two. Some, some add foot washing to that, but it's an ordinance and, and Protestants understand these are not things that give you grace. How important that is. The Talmud is really a compilation of Jewish tradition that began with the Pharisees. It is basically a massive collection of Pharisaical teachings. I've mentioned in the past talking about the Sabbath. By the way, there's a verse in Genesis where God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. 
and then there's one or two verses added to that. Well, in the Talmud, there are 24 chapters listing Sabbath laws. Now, it started with just, you know, we want to follow that verse in Genesis that says, remember the Sabbath. And so they start spelling it out. And pretty soon, here you have the, um, again, you've got the Talmud, there's major teachings that are, that Jesus would condemn. They were their traditions. Jesus would say in Matthew, he said, you have transgressed the commandment of God by your traditions. And a lot of churches have done that. So, for example, in Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 4, it tells us that the Jews had all kinds of laws about washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. In the first part of the Talmud, the Mishnah, there were 32 chapters about ceremonial ritual cleansing of pots and pans. 32 chapters. That's more than 24 when it comes to the Sabbath. Now, in Mark chapter 7 and verse 2, talking about the Pharisees, it says, And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, this was not simply a matter of sanitation. Okay? This was not that the, the, the disciples had really bad hygiene and they would eat without washing their hands. Everybody knows that's bad, right? You know, we had a big, it, it, COVID happened. And everybody during COVID, we were told how to properly wash your hands. And I looked it up. And in fact, they told you, you know, scrub with soap, hot water. Make sure you scrub for 20 seconds. You know, that's what they said. And so everybody's, we're COVID now. We got to, did you wash your hands? You know, this was not a matter of just sanitation. This was a matter of, this was religious ceremony. This was, you know, formalism. Like, I mean, 32 chapters on how to properly wash pots and pans and stuff before you drink them. It was ridiculous. And then in, uh, in verse 5, it says they found fault in verse 2. And then in verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, how important was washing hands? One rabbi wrote this many years ago. He said, whoever has his abode in the land of Israel and eats his food with washed hands may rest assured that he shall receive eternal life. You wash your hands and receive eternal life? Really? They also taught that a demon named Shibta sat on men's hands while they slept. And not to wash hands ceremonially meant that he was transferred to the mouth and got inside. There's a, another story told of a famous rabbi named Akiba, Akiba. And when he was imprisoned and he was allowed his allowance for water, it was restricted. He took what little water he was given and used it for ceremonial rinsing of his hands rather than drinking it. To which he replied, I would rather die than transgress the tradition of the elders. Another rabbi said, It's better to go four miles to water than to incur guilt by neglecting hand rinsing. So we're not talking simply about sanitation. 
We're talking about the ceremonial laws that were added upon added upon added that they used to find fault with Jesus. That is bondage. Praise God, folks, when you and I get saved, we are set free of all ceremonial and religious ordinances, sacraments. You know, I used to, I talked about the sacraments. In my mind, for many years, I came to God with my hands full. I had my baptism. I had my first Holy Communion. I had my confirmation. I was an altar boy. That's not one of the sacraments, but that was in there too. I was a Boy Scout. That wasn't one of the sacraments. But I, I mean, I came to God with my hands full because I knew I needed help. I was a sinner. And I'm, I'm still not sure all this was going to do it. And then I heard the gospel. And I threw all that away. And I came to Christ empty-handed. And that's the only way you get saved is you come to Christ empty-handed. So look at verse 5. I love this. So these guys are coming in to spy out their liberty so that they might put them, again it says in in, um, in verse 4, that they might bring us into bondage. Folks, it is so easy to give in to peer pressure when it comes to the commandments of men and the traditions of men. Even Baptists can have that temptation. And and it brings us into bondage. I love this, the way it's ended. Verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection. Oh no, Paul, you gave place? You gave in? How could you do that? He says, no, not for an hour. I love that. That's like, there's. uh, I don't know where this came from, and I really couldn't care less, but for many years, and this is now outdated, but for many years, it came from the comedy world. Somebody would say, um, they'd make a statement. And then they'd say, not. You, you remember that? I know, it's kind of dumb. Some of you are wrinkling your nose, you know. But for a while, that was very popular, where you say something, and then you say, not, and that cancel. Well, this is like the version of that, you know. To whom we gave place by subjection. We submitted to them. Not. That's like what Paul's saying. No, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Understand what was at stake. If they had submitted to this, if they had said, well, you know, this really is a peripheral issue and we won't make a big deal about it. Okay, Titus, get circumcised. That would have put them under bondage and it would have made a public proclamation that you're not saved by faith alone when indeed you are. Peter, in writing about some of these people, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, he said, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought in bondage. They promise them liberty, but it's really bondage. Above the entrance to the concentration camp, Auschwitz in Germany are the German words Arbeit mach frei and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong you German people that know German can can correct me on that but it was a sign above this concentration camp and, and what it means is work makes free which was 
a bold-faced lie, suggesting that if prisoners worked hard, they would be given liberty. That was promising freedom and offering a horrifying death. Well, you know, many people think that their, that work is what sets you free. You know, think about it. Think how many people, sincere people, following whatever religious ordinances their religion has set up, and they're so sincere, but they're sincerely wrong, just like the Jews. Paul said of the Jews, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And then he said this in Romans, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness. If you're trying to get to heaven by your good deeds, whether it's ordinances, sacraments, or whatever your church requires, you are in bondage. The only way you get saved is come empty-handed because Jesus Christ paid the price. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus has bled and there is remission. And so, Father, once for all, I pray the sinners would receive it, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, that they would, like the Apostle Paul, count all those things they used to trust in as dung, that they may win Christ, and that multitudes of people would come to Calvary empty-handed and receive from you, not give to try to please you. Lord, help us to understand salvation is a free gift that cannot be earned. And I pray, Father, that that glorious liberty, which many try to rob us of, that we would stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and we would not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Help us to remain free And help us to be on guard to those dangerous traps that are anti-grace. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.